But we're very honored to be back in San Francisco. We're here for a great convention. We had a great convention. San Diego. Or San Diego, excuse me, San Diego, sure. Yeah. Senator Obama's supporters have been saying some pretty nasty things about Western Pennsylvania lately. And you know, I couldn't agree with them more. Okay, we lost that, but that's all right. Do we have it? Why don't you skip it, Andreas? Um, we are. We're very <laughs> We have it. We don't have it. Today we're preaching on competence. <laughs> Do we have that, Andreas? Yes. No. Okay. But we're very honored to be back in San Francisco. We're here for a great convention. We had a great convention. San Diego. Or San Diego, excuse me, San Diego, sure. Yeah. Senator Obama's supporters have been saying some pretty nasty things about Western Pennsylvania lately. And you know, I couldn't agree with them more. What a challenge it is because in 1988, the question is whether we're going to go forward to tomorrow or we're going to go past to the, the, the back. It is just wonderful to be back in Oregon, and over the last 15 months, we've traveled uh, to every corner of the United States. Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. And I also am told that, uh, that uh, uh, Chuck Graham, state senator, is here. Chuck, stand up, Chuck. Let him see you. Oh, God love you. What am I talking about? I tell you what, you're making everybody else stand up, though, pal. Thank you very, very much. I tell you what, stand up for Chuck. In California, and Texas, and New York, and we're going to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! shall be secure. Let's see now. This is my wife calling, I think. Thank you for being such a, uh, a fine host for the OPEC summit. I appreciate APEC summit. You know. Facts are stupid things. Stubborn things, I should say. You know me. My record is on the table over the years. Uh, you know its shortcomings. I admit I've made mistakes. mistakes. My state of the union, or state, my speech to the nation whatever you want to call it, speech of the nation. I preserve and protect a woman's right to choose. I make an unequivocal answer, yes. No, I'm saying I changed my mind, and you can look at my record as governor, and, uh, and you can see in my record as governor that I have consistently been pro-life. I believe that abortion should be safe and legal in this country. I have since the time that my mom took that position when she ran in 1970. And you're working hard to put food on your family. <laughs> Clearly, the question asked, 
our, is our children learning? Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all across the country. <laughs> we cannot sustain. Oops. Was that my. Uh... It does the things to the regulatory climate that has to happen. And I will tell you, it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. You need five. Oh, five. Okay. So, commerce, education, and uh, the... Um, uh, um. Anyway. And, and we're blessed in New Hampshire to get it all first. Um, it's interesting, though, when you, when you hear all the candidates and, and you listen to all the infomercials, you know, you're told that being president... Uh, what qualifies you, uh, what makes you competent is leadership in government. And then others will say, no, what really qualifies you is being outside of government. Uh, we see that uh, there are those who run on platforms that they have run big businesses successfully all of their lives and others who talk about the fact that they are running against big business. Um, you look at what you're told is competent and it's everything from looking good to sounding good to be, being politically incorrect to being bold. I mean, the list goes on and on. What does it mean to be competent? Uh, particularly for us as we make these decisions, when you talk about a president, what does it mean to be competent? What's required of a president to be competent? Well, according to the United States Constitution, Article 2, um, it requires only two things. It requires that you're a natural-born citizen in the age of 35. So what does it require to be president of the United States? Not much. In fact, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. If you want to be a plumber, you have to go to school, get an education, and you have to have a license. Uh, if you want to be a hairdresser, you have to go to school, get an education, pass a test, and get a license. If, if you want to drive tractor trailer, you have to go to school, get an education, pass a test, and get a license. But if you want to be president of the United States, there's no real rule of competency other than you are from the country, you have a pulse, and you're 35 years old. What is it that makes... Someone competent. And in particular, what is it that makes a Christian competent? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that makes you as a believer in Christ competent? Because incompetency is, is as we've seen, it can be a real ugly thing. Let me give you the definition of competence. A specific range of skills, knowledge, and ability to do something successfully, being adequately or well qualified to meet demands or conditions. Now just drink that in for a minute. A specific range of skills, knowledge, and ability. 
to do something successfully, being adequately or well-qualified to meet demands or conditions. When you think of your faith, would it meet that definition? And we're going to get into what that means a little bit more, but just as you think of that, does it meet the definition? A gentleman by the name of Noah Branch came up with uh, four categories of competence that I love. If you can put those up there, you probably can't see it. The first is unconscious competence. The individual is competent, but they don't recognize it. In other words, it's a person who they get in their car, they drive it, and they don't think about am I competent or wondering whether they're, they're just driving and they're not really conscious of the fact that they're competent in driving. The other is uh, um, conscious competence. That's a person who's driving, they feel good about their driving, they're thinking about it, and they're trying to be competent at it even though they are. Uh, The third is conscious incompetence. That's the person who's driving their car and knows they shouldn't be driving their car, and everyone around them sees it. Now, Sylvia just hit Mark. That wasn't nice. The one I want to look at this morning is unconscious incompetence. It's that blissful state that people live in where they think they're competent, but they're not. So they're, they're driving down the road. These are the people who are, who are texting and they're talking to people and they think they're picking up everything going on and they've got no clue. Now, how does that apply to Christianity? Incompetent or unconscious incompetence applies this way. It's living our lives every day thinking we've got it nailed. Living our lives every day thinking that, yeah, we've, we've checked off all the blo- boxes, we're good with God, and we're on t- top of everything, and we don't have to worry about it. Not looking at, reflecting on, reviewing how we're doing. Not noticing all the things that we don't know. Missing all of the skills that are missing in us. We've been talking about how to live a Christian life without looking weird. And there's nothing that looks more weird than being incompetent. There's nothing that looks more weird than thinking you're incompetent and having everyone around you know they haven't got a clue what they're talking about. They don't even resemble how Jesus lived. They don't even see the negative impact that they're making. Incompetent. Competence. This morning, I want to show you a couple examples of it. And I want to show you, moreover, how we avoid it. How we can live Christian lives without looking weird, without looking incompetent to the world. Uh, 
First example I want to give you is found in 1 Corinthians. If you could pop that up. 1 Corinthians 3. Now, Paul is writing, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is, is really a rebuke because they are doing everything that they shouldn't be doing. And they're doing it thinking that they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing. In fact, they even think that they are at the top of the curve. And look what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Now, these were people, when you dig into the letter of 1 Corinthians, I mean, they thought they were very spiritual. In fact, they thought they were more spiritual than even the apostles. They thought that they had special insight that was given to them from God that others didn't even have. And what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, you wouldn't know spiritual if you tripped over it. He says, I address you as people not... I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Verse 3, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? What is he saying? He's calling them out on the fact that these are people who spend their time comparing themselves with one another. They spend their time trying to engage in one-upmanship with one another. They spend their time arguing over things like, who's going to get the best seat in worship? Who's going to get the most food in their community meals? They spend their time arguing their pedigree, like, I was baptized by Peter. And I I, I was uh, baptized by John. I was baptized by Jesus. And Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Because you're a bunch of children. Incompetence. I mean, you see it in the church, don't you? You see it in your own lives. Where we engage in pettiness. And somehow we think that God isn't looking. Or that God doesn't care. Or even worse, that God is on our side that this is what Jesus would do in this situation. He'd get even. He'd get back at him. He would want me to get what I deserve. And yet, all we're living is this unconscious incompetence. Look at the second situation. Can you jump ahead, Andreas? It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man sleeps with his father's wife and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have, and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? So he talks about the petty stuff, the stuff that people see when they look inside the church. But then he says, you're engaging in actions that are so immoral, 
so incompetent that even the outside world looks at you and says, who would do something like that? Why do people look at us as weird? Because sometimes we engage in things that range from everything from the petty to the outright blasphemous before God and even insufferable in the world. Our goal is to be contagious and attractive to people. Our goal is to show people that, yeah, we're weird in a different kind of way, but it's a good weird. It's a, it's a weird that, that supersedes the hopelessness of this world. It's a weird that loves and cares for people that nobody seems to even notice. It's a weird that gives of itself when nobody else wants to give. It's a weird that you want to stand next to in life. And yet, Paul looks at the church and he looks at the Corinthians and he says, you guys just look weird. You do things that make even the pagans blush. That's what incompetence looks like. But let me take it to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 5, excuse me, not 3. Verse 4, Paul says this, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Back right back up to the first. To, there you go. Thank you. What is he saying? He's drawing. He's drawing a, a contrast. He says our confidence comes from where. It comes from Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves. Now think about it for a minute. To become president of the United States, what's the level of competency you have to reach? You have to be as competent as the people who vote for you, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we badmouth our presidents, and yet we forget to say who put them there. So what level of competency do you have to rise to to be president of the United States? You only have to rise to the level of competency of the voters. What level of competency do you have to rise to to be a follower of Christ? You have to rise to the level of Christ. Now, how do you do that? You don't do that. 
He does it for you. He does it through you. He does it in you. Andreas, can you put up... There's a principle I want to share with you out of this. I just want to take a couple minutes with it. Unconscious incompetence is replaced with conscious dependence. How do we not live our lives as believers thinking we're competent and only end up looking incompetent to the world? We live them with a conscious dependence on God. Because the only way we can be competent is by being dependent on God. If we try to be competent, I mean, think about what it, what it takes to be competent as a believer in Christ. It means that you're going to know the right things to say, that you're going to care for people in the right moments, that you are going to give when giving is needed, that you are going to live clean and immoral lives, that you are going to be intellectually astute in, this, in what you're talking about. I mean, you would have to spend your life buried in books trying to experience all sorts of experiences so that you could build up some sort of resume of competence. And you would still fail. How do you become competent as a believer in Christ? Very simply, you just become dependent. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out in twos and he said to them, don't worry about what you'll say. For when the time comes, I will give you the words to speak. When the time comes, I will provide the opportunities for you to act. And see, that's, that's the blessing and the beauty. We sometimes get so caught up in trying to be good Christians by trying to check off boxes of what it means to be competent. And instead, all we become is arrogant. Real competence doesn't come in walking around thinking we are or walking around trying to be. Real competence just comes in being dependent on God. I mean, and that's the blessing, isn't it? The blessing is, it's almost like being president in that, yeah, the qualifications are few. All you have to do is know you're a sinner. And all you have to do is turn to God and receive his love. And from that day forward, all you have to do is just depend on him. It means we don't walk around thinking, oh yeah, I've got that nailed. Sexual purity in my life, I've got that nailed. Alcoholism, I've I've got that nailed. Gossip, I've got that nailed. Uh, Being a nice person, I've got that nailed. Serving, I've got that. The minute you start living checking off boxes of things that you think you've got nailed down, you're missing it. Competence comes and every day we just wake up and we are conscious of the fact 
that I have to be dependent upon God because there is no way I am ever going to be competent as a follower of Christ unless I let him lead. See, if we, if we walk around through life thinking, yep, Christian peace, got it. Education, got it. Good job, got it. Have nation in wrath. But an understanding that God and wiser, that he is holier, that he is more capable than you will ever be. And that you are never going to be in a place where you can walk around saying, yep, nailed it. Got all the boxes checked. Because before God, that's not what it means to be competent. And before the world, all that looks like is arrogant. The only way to be competent is to just simply live each day saying, God, I'm yours. Help me to hear you. Because here's the thing. If we live dependent, you know how that's going to affect us? We're going to stop talking and we're going to start listening. We're going to stop lecturing others and we're going to just start studying. We're going to stop criticizing and judging and we're going to roll up our sleeves and start helping. We're going to start feeling other people's pain and crying over other people's hurts and stop only feeling our own pain and crying for our own hurts. We're going to stop worrying about what tomorrow holds and we're going to just start praising God who holds everything we need for today. And we're going to start looking competent to the world around us. Because they're going to see something different in us. They're going to see people who don't look weird because they have loud mouths, uncouth behaviors, selfish motives, they're going to see people who just want opportunities to love other people. They're going to see people who just want opportunities to listen so that they might hear and know how to care better. They're going to see people who say, whatever I have, is yours. They're going to see people who do know the scriptures, not because they're trying to memorize them so they can show everybody what they know, but people who know how to speak an apt word at the right time to someone who really needs it. They're going to see people who don't just talk about integrity, but but they live integrity. They're going to see people who keep their promises. 
because they worship a God who keeps his promises. See, that's weird in the best sense of the word. How do we live competent lives? We just live dependent. When I'm dependent, it's hard to be arrogant. Because when I'm dependent, I know I can't point at me. I can only point at the one who loves me and who loves others. Now, can you measure competence or dependence? Yeah, you can. You can, you can measure it through prayer. When we pray, it's a way of reminding ourselves that we are dependent on God. I mean, think about it. Why do we pray? Because God doesn't know. God doesn't know that that our Aunt Sally is sick and in the hospital. He missed that one. We have to remind him. He knows. Because he might not care. Of course he cares. We pray because we understand that with everything we have and with everything we care about and with everyone we care about, we are dependent upon God. We pray because God has said, I want you to pray to me. I want you to be in conversation with me because that's part of what it means to be dependent. You speak and know that I listen and that I will act in your best interest and in the best interest of the people around you. Can you measure dependence? I, yeah, I think so. I think if, if we don't pray, then we're living independent of God. And the minute we live independent of God, we become incompetent. Two, you study. Why do we study the scriptures? So that we can know all sorts of cool verses for some Bible trivia show. How do you know God? Unless you know the things he's done. How do you know God unless you listen to the words that he has spoken? That's what makes you competent. It's the dependence on knowing that my thoughts are not only not enough, they're totally inadequate. My thoughts are twisted and distorted. And I need to hear from God if I want to be competent. If I want to love somebody competently, I need to hear from God so I'll know how to love them. Number three, worship. Worship helps us to be dependent because what are we doing when we worship? We are going before God and we are lifting up his name and recognizing that he's worthy of all honor and glory, that he's God and we're not. Number four, service. We do what Jesus commanded us to do. We go out and we care for those who are hurting and who are helpless. 
we love just the way that Jesus loved. Jesus said, when you do for the least of these, you do for who? You do for me. Because that's what I did for you. And if you want to competently reflect me, then you follow me. Because that's what it means to be dependent. Number five. We give. Why is giving such a big deal? Why do you always hear it in Christianity? Because the church wants your money. We want all of it. We don't want just a little bit. We want all of it. And you guys don't seem to want to give it. No, the truth is, if you read the New Testament, you see giving over and over and over and over and over again. Why? You see giving right in the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve's sin. What's the next thing we read once they're kicked out of the garden? Cain and Abel. Cain brings his offering to God and Abel brings his. Now, where did that come from? Because we don't even see that in the law until much later on in the Bible. But somehow God instituted very quickly, you need need to give to get. You need to give in order to get the fact that you need me. In fact, that whole Cain and Abel thing didn't turn out too well, right? Even back then, they didn't. What happens? Cain kills Abel. Why? Because he becomes jealous over somebody else's giving. Holding back has always corrupted us. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus says, you can't serve man and money at the same time. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. Why does giving help us to be dependent? (laughs) Because giving is that one thing that gets right in our face and says to us, are you going to do what I want you to do? Are you going to do what's hard to do? Are you really going to cast your cares upon me because I care about you or is that just something you say at church? Or when you feel the call to give, are you going to respond in dependence? Number six. Witness. Why don't we like witnessing? Because nobody wants to hear it. And we might get in trouble. And people will think we're weird. But Jesus said, go out through all the world and make disciples. And, but, but if we do that, nobody will like us. God will like you. 
And God will make sure a couple other people like you too. But the truth is, who are we dependent on? God or others? Do I play to an audience of one really? Or am I trying to impress everyone around me? I think I said it last week in a, in a Gallup poll. One of the strangest, weirdest things that unbelievers see in believers is not the fact that they witness. It's the fact that they don't witness. It's the fact that they live in their houses surrounded by neighbors who they don't even know and don't even talk to and don't even share the gospel with. And yet they say they're people of the good news. But apparently it isn't so good yet to share it. God calls us to be competent. That they will know us by our love. We'll know each other by the fruits that we bear. But it all happens as we just give ourselves without pretense, without a desire to look competent, only a desire to be dependent. And if we'll do that, we won't look weird. I want to share it with you, a quote. This was from Karl Barth, who was brilliant. Um, he's a theologian who came to Christ because it just made sense to him. There was no great emotional awakening for him. He was a very cognitive, very intellectual guy. And he was brilliant. He went and wrote his church dogmatics, which took over 8,000 pages. And every page is deep. Listen to this quote In 1931, his church dogmatics began publication. The dogmatics, nearly 8,000 pages, clearly established Bart as a competent theologian, indeed the most competent of all of his day. Yet towards the end of his life, this great theologian said, when once the day comes when I will appear before my Lord, then I will not come with my deeds, with the volumes of my dogmatics on my back. No, then I will only say one thing. Lord, be merciful to me, a poor sinner. A deep, competent guy who only was because he lived in the depths of his dependence on God as a sinner. And if you live that way, you will become deep and you will become competent and you will only care about becoming more and more dependent. And in that, you'll feel the intimacy and the love and the power of God upon you and that worries will wash over you. 
And then that love will fill you. And God will grace you to make a difference in the world and just not look different and weird to it. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us in Christ. We thank you, Father, that there's no 